Good morning, one love. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We have won the victory, as the song says. That, that was awesome. You know, I was, it was great hearing Cornell get up and just exalt and talk from the spirit realm. I said, Cornell, you could have continued. I said, I could have sat down and listened to him. What an anointing. Mm. Please silence your phones, please. <laughs> As we get started and we get into position, I just wanted to talk a, a little bit. I was amazed at last Sunday to see God's people stepping into their giftings as we welcome new people coming to our church. You know, we've talked about ourselves kind of going out and stepping out and being what God has called us, and it starts with being gracious to everyone that's around us. And I saw people at first not exactly comfortable with it, thinking that, wow, this is different. But at the end of service, I saw faces that were grateful because they, say, they saw a new part, and we believe that that's what church is supposed to be. And I believe that the Lord was pleased with what he saw here last week. So, Father, I'm, I'm just going to bow our heads right now. We're just going to pray. Father God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for what you're doing here at One Love. Father, we ask that you come this day because if you're not here, all this is worthless and useless. We count it all joy that you've called us sons and daughters and that you're doing something and that you've equipped us to go and to do things. And we're thankful to have that opportunity this day. Father, we bless your name. We thank you. We magnify. We lift you up. We point to the kingdom of heaven where you are seated in high places. And Jesus is seated with you. But you've also made seats and provision for us there also in the spirit realm. We call that forth now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Mm. So, Father, right now I ask you to take over. I ask that any hindrances be squelched right now. I ask that your presence comes, and I ask that the word renews the mind of your people this morning. Father, I am humbled that you have me now speaking your word. I ask you to make my pen, make my tongue the pen of a ready writer in season to write down on their hearts what you would have for them this day, this season, right now. In Jesus' name, I thank you. I'm going to ask you to put up that first slide. You know, when Pastor called me earlier this week, he asked me to, to, to bring a word. And it was pretty interesting, too, because, you know, I sit down and I start reading, and I enjoy preparing words because it causes me to read. It makes me responsible as one of the elders here. But even in my home group, I was asked a couple of questions in the last month. We have stepped into this new place as One Love Church, and some folks, you know, I've had at least a couple of times someone says, what's this apostolic ministry that we've talked about? What, what is that? It sounds good. I believe that it's good. Um, but what is it? And I'd scratch my head, and I'd, in a couple of minutes I'd kind of tell them what it looks like and what it's supposed to be. And then I had somebody else ask me the same question. I was like, wow. You know, and so we're going to talk about it a little bit. You know, at one something this morning, the Lord woke me up and he added something to my plate. And he said, go get this slide. And it was one, one of the books that Harold Eberly uh, sold to me uh, a couple of months ago when he was here. And just this one sheet kind of really made it re really plain. So I kind of took that and I said, let's make a slide out of that. And I'm going to take about five minutes to make a foundation before we actually get into what I felt like I was supposed to talk about. He says, we've got to give them background. And me, I have to see things first. I have to see the big picture. And what I do is I imagine myself as a Christian standing in heaven with God, looking from heaven and looking down and looking at the whole timeline of what has happened 
and where we're going and what we're doing and what we've been called to do and what distractions have come. And this one right here was probably the most interesting, but it's very, very simple. Now, one of the things that I think we should be able to do is out of our own lives, our own testimony, tell about what God has done. But I think we also need to know our history in terms of what we've done. And this kind of puts it all down on one slide that you could draw on a piece of paper to teach someone who didn't know who we were or what was going on. And I, don't worry about the titles. The title's not important. I want you to look at the drawing itself. Timeline at the bottom, BC, 0 AD. But we look over here. I guess my point, there it is. We have Adam. Adam falls. Adam is in the garden has been put there by God himself. He asked for Eve. We've got Eve. The fall, Satan comes in as a serpent and deceives. So we know that from the beginning, God has a plan for us. He desires relationship. He wants to be with us one-on-one. -on -one. This is his heart because he loves us, and he has created us even in his own image. Enemy doesn't like it, causes him to fall. Wasn't Eve. At any point, Adam could have said, hey, don't touch that tree. But we, we know about that. And we go along the timeline, and there, there's, we've been put out now. We've been thrown out of the glory of what God has wanted to originally do. And we walk along, and generations occur. And then up comes Noah. We got people that are out doing stuff, doing awful stuff. And God gets tired of it, and he says, listen, I'm going to wash this world away. And we have the flood. Everybody knows about that. We've all learned that from Sunday school. We start all over again. We come. We get Abraham, righteous man, awesome man. God tells him, guess what? We're going to call you Father Abraham because you'll have many, many seeds. And you guys will basically rule and reign. And we have the Jewish nation, which rises up. And I, I just want us to kind of see the things that we've gone through to get to where we are now. Go back to the Jewish age. And we meet a man named Moses. And God gives him a plan. And we know about Moses. But in Exodus, in Exodus 19, 6, God says, you are a kingdom of priests. He didn't say you were just members. You're a kingdom of priests. Not one priest, a kingdom of priests. That's what he's called us to be. He was talking to Israel while on Mount Sinai. And this was a prophetic generational call to be obedient. You're a kingdom of priests. He didn't ask you. He said, that's who you are. And we watch how Moses, is, Moses goes along. We come out of slavery. We come out of Egypt. We walk out. And for 40 years, they're walking in the desert. We hear the murmuring. We hear the complaining. We hear the frustration. Let's go back. Cornell said, we're not supposed to go back. We're supposed to go forward in the things that God has called us to do. Well, we see a man named Aaron, who is the one that is finally allowed to take the people forth into everything that God has been called to do. Aaron was supposed to equip Israel, the Jewish nation, to do, to go inside, as God said, and take all nations. During that, but during 40 years in the wilderness, they walked around, and they basically grew as the generations died out, and they began to learn more of God. Now, my belief is that God never intended never intended for Aaron and his four sons because what happened was essentially we had generations that came out and Aaron passed on his anointing to his son and they became priests again nation of priests versus Aaron being a priest and now making his son priest now essentially what they did is they made a business out of what God had told them to do they had uh, power, authority. They had control. And this was, not, this was not God's will. They were called to disciple a nation of priests. And that's, who, well, we're still, that's what we're still supposed to, to, to do. I get nervous and I stutter now and see the enemy will come against me with that thing, but I'm still going to talk about his word. I will not allow him to have that victory. Now, we step to the next chapter. We go into the next chapter where... Mm, we talk about Moses. Moses is walking in the desert with folks. 
and he's got his group that's out there. And if you turn to Exodus 20, verse 18 and 19, when God comes and he speaks to people, he would speak to Moses, but he, God asked to speak to the people of God. And it's in, a, it's in an environment where there's thunder and there's lightning and there's the trumpet blast, which is the voice of God, and there's a smoking mountain. And the people get so afraid of God that they just step back and they back away. And they say, Moses, will you go talk to God and then come back and tell us what he said? What happens is that we began to become so fearful of God that we could not have a one-on-one -on -one relationship. And if you'll go back to the original slide that we had where we talked about the garden and having Adam there, it was one-on-one -on -one in the garden, just those two. And now, because we were stepped several generations away, we've now hired a priest now to intervene and talk to God and come back and be the intermediary, intermediate person that talks to God and gives us the information. You know, there's no practical application for that when we talk about what God's plan was initially supposed to be. And God let them have their way. One of the things that we notice all throughout the Old Testament is that the people did not come up to God because of their perception. They were afraid of him. They were afraid that he was going to do stuff. They knew he was strong. They didn't understand, and that's okay. They said, we want a king. And every time he would provide them with the king, he said, if that's what you want, if that's what I've got to do to, to get you through this thing, that's what I'll do. But, you know, at some point, God's going to get tired. And when we get to 1 Samuel chapter 2, 31 to 36, we, we, we meet a man called Eli. Eli is also a priest, and he has two sons, and his sons are Phineas and Hophni. And they're in charge of the temple. They're the temple priests. There were different types of priests, and I'm not going to go into all that, but they were the temple priests, and they took care of stuff. And the sons became rebellious. Why? Because Eli had lost his first love and lost what he was supposed to do and had stepped away and he was not in the temple all the time raising the boys. You see, being a father to sons is important too when you want to pass it on to the next generation. So now we've got Eli, he has walked away. You've got two teenage boys that are running around in the temple. They're doing what they want to do. They have no father authority, no father figure over them. And they're literally raised by the temple women. In fact, it gets really, really bad because they also now as teenagers and as adults, they walk in and they've just forgotten their whole role as being priests and what an honor that is, and they start dealing with the temple prostitutes. Even while the service is going on, they're outside the door, outside the tent. Eli was a poor example of what a father was supposed to be. And because of that, they did not honor him. They had no respect for him. So when we get down to Samuel 2, chapter 2, 35, God says in that chapter, and you didn't have to put those up, he says, I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to which is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. I believe that this is a type and shadow of the Christ that is coming. He gave us an opportunity to do it, and we kept failing during that situation. And we get down to a point in the Old Testament where he says, I've tried to equip the temple priest with doing this, and each time they start off good, and then it just dwindles down into a business, into the flesh, into what's, what it is about me. I will raise up a faithful priest. And I put it in my, in my heart, the Lord told me this morning, he said, that's Jesus that shall do according to which is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. Now, that's what I got this morning. So I want you to look at those scriptures maybe a little bit later on, a little bit more detail. But what happens when we have a one-man model, we can have disruption. I believe that the church is really supposed to have different things coming into what everybody has a part, everybody has a function. Now, our churches today are set up where we have a pope or a superintendent or a bishop or an overseer. And although that's good, I think that we can do better. I think God has better. 
I'm going to ask you to turn to Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. Well, actually go 10 to 13. I'm sorry. He that descended is the same also that ascended up from above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Circle all. All things. Next. And he gave some prophets. Uh-oh. And some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. He gave. Go back. He gave. Who he? Anytime I read scripture, I want to ask myself the question, what is the who? Who's he? Who's he? God himself. Jesus. He gave. What? He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then I remember being in second grade, they asked us to ask for what's the who, what, where's the what, what's the when, and what's the why. So he gave these things. He gave them as a gift is what some of the translation says. And a gift is not a title. It's not an office. It's not an ecclesiastical hierarchy. Generally, a gift, if I give you a gift during a holiday or for your birthday or your anniversary, a gift is something that I give you that has no cost on your part. When I give you a gift, what do you do? You take the gift, and then you take it and you go put it in the corner and lock it in the closet. What what do you do with your gift? What, What do you do with your gift? You open it. You take that pretty little red ribbon off. You peel the paper off. Oh, boy, this is just nice. A gift is not a title. A gift represents something that is given to show friendship, something given to show honor, affection, something given to show support, something given to add to your power, to add to who you are. A gift can also be something that is your talent. It's a boy, he's really a gifted You know, you saw this praise and worship team up here, gifted, gifted in singing and dancing and and, and keyboards and anything that they touch, they're so gifted. They have these talents. So gifts are good things. Next scripture. I mean, yeah, next line, 12. For the perfecting of saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And we've said this before, but he says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Well, who are the saints? Speaking in tongue. Take this finger right here, put it on top of your head. Everybody, thank you. I am a saint. The fivefold ministry was given to perfect me <laughs> to do the ministry. Amen. Next scripture. Till we come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Wait a minute, let me back this up. It's too many words. I'm not that smart. Till we come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Guess what? We got some work to do because I'm not a perfect man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That means that I'm supposed to look like him. That's when I know that I'm perfect. So the who is Jesus. The what? Uh Uh-oh, I'm the saint that's now being perfected to do the ministry. When? The wind is going to be now because this is in the New Testament. Jesus gave this thing. Why? Till we come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. Uh Uh-oh. What we're asking for now is we we see that in this scripture we have a responsibility. And when does this stop? Until we look like Christ. You know, this thing continues until we have authentic 
unity. Until that's reached, we don't stop. God, from the beginning, did not desire to know us intimately and personally. We're essentially going to be replicas of Jesus on earth, and that's 1 John 2.6. Don't put it up. We're created in his image. We have a purpose, Romans 8.28. And the scriptures also say that he foreknew us. He knew who you were before you were born. There was a mark on you. Your image is going to look like Christ. I have to step into unity. Why? He wants relationship with me, but when he gives me these gifts, he is bringing heaven to earth. And that's why that first slide went up, because I want to show you that from the beginning of time, God has been wanting to bring his love, his power, and authority on one-on-one -on -one relationship with me. Has that happened? Everybody's getting quiet on me now. He came to demonstrate what a man is to live like. That was Jesus. He came as man and as God to show us what a man was supposed to look like, but also he had a second role, and that was to take on our sins. You know, a lot of times Jesus is called the second Adam. The first Adam was the first attempt for God to come and have relationship. The second one is he had to cleanse everything away, and he says, guess what? I'm going to send you a perfect man. Guess what? Adam failed. Second Adam, Jesus, was also tempted. Throw yourself in the rocks. We'll pull you away. We'll, we'll, we'll get you. you you'll, you'll be able to live because of who you He took the word. The enemy takes the word and will distort it. And then Jesus would go to the cross and he would die for us. But he also remained the son of man. And that was to show us how to live. So all throughout looking at Jesus, he is showing us how to live as individuals. He's showing us how to relate to each other. And he's showing us the kingdom of God at the same time. In fact, Galatians 1, 18, 19. Uh-oh. What do you do when your technology doesn't come on? You continue to use the word. That's why you have your Bible and your phone. Galatians 1, 18, 19. Jesus. <laughs> it's interesting that Cornell said this. Jesus has preeminence. He is the whole, he is the top of this whole thing that we're coming. Under God, he represents God and the triune God, but he has preeminence. All fullness dwells. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and stayed with him. Oh, that's Galatians. Galatians. Did I say it wrong? Okay. Um, the fullness dwells. In fact, Jesus actually says, if you've seen me, you've seen the, the Father. We are now his body, walking in the same fullness of the Holy Spirit and carrying the glory of God. That's us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. It's not just pastor. It's not the apostles. It's not the fivefold. It's in y'all. Those who have received him has received his gifting. Wow. For it pleased the Father. And y'all playing games with me, aren't you? <laughs> and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. Circle preeminence. For it pleased the Father. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. So everything is in Jesus. He put it all there and sent it down here to us to show us how to live. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> carrying his spirit, carrying the glory of God. He manifested the kingdom and demonstrated sovereign power. <laughs> he demonstrated the kingdom. 
Well, you have that in you right now where you can demonstrate the kingdom because of the power that's in you. Now, in churches in the United States now, it's a little bit different. I grew up, and uh, this is no, no, no put down on the churches that I grew up in because they did what they knew. I grew up in churches. You went, they had a pastor. Pastor got up and preached every Sunday. He was faithful, knew the word of God. We had good praise and worship. We shouted, and then we went to eat, and then we saw each other next Sunday. Occasionally, once or twice a year, there would be a missionary mother that would come in. And generally, she was somebody from the neighborhood. She was, she was known as the missionary, and we saw her. Occasionally, we'd have somebody come in, and they would teach. And that was what my example of church was. Churches in America, we're familiar with the term pastor. We're familiar with evangelism. We're, we're familiar with teaching ministries. But throughout the church right now, there's a shift that the Lord has to restore the New Testament function and pattern so God can work through the body of Christ as originally intended. Uh-oh. Originally intended. Well, that first slide talked about the fact that he was in the garden with Adam. Adam failed. Now he goes along, and now he sends us Jesus into the New Testament to teach us the, the true way to live in the Spirit. I had to ask myself the question when I went to visit churches of all denominations throughout my life, they all had the same way. You just came and you sat in chairs like this, and you listened to the guy in the front talk, and you either liked him or didn't like him, just like you're doing now. <laughs> Some people got that, but I, I don't know. <laughs> but I asked myself, how does church need to change? It needs to look different. Part of that was what we stepped into last week when we had visitors come and people were serving. We don't call them visitors anymore. We call them guests. And it's what our opportunity is to serve whatever their needs are because that's what Jesus did. Amen? Now, I've had a couple of Bible classes, more than a couple, and I looked at what things the scholars always talked about. And you'd walk into a, a room and you'd have a bunch of people that were studying to give the Word of God, and there was one class that was called hermeneutics. And the hermeneutics class basically looked at how we interpret Scripture. And I said, Scripture is Scripture. It should be untainted. It should be unchanged. It shouldn't have to be interpreted. What it says is what it says, and what it says is true. That's what I thought. But they developed a whole science of it, and we had to take the hermeneutics class. And it's the, the, the science of the role and method of how scholars interpret Scripture. And there was a process that they used, which was called the exegesis. They would say, well, let's take a word and let's break that word apart into all of its foundational roots. And it was some good stuff in there because you, you had to go back to the original Aramaic and the original Greek and go into something called a lexicon and look and break these words apart. And that was interesting. Exegesis determines how, what the author's meaning for text was. The Bible is written and somebody else is going to look at it many, many years later and try to interpret what they really meant. Ooh. I believe that the Word of God is unchanging. Do you? Then my question is, is why do we have at least 25 different versions of the Bible that all say something just a little bit different? It's important for you to know your Word. It's important for you also to go back and look at what some of the original Scriptures say because some of the words have changed a little bit in terms of what we think, that, what we think they ought to mean. If you're just listening to a pastor or a teacher speak and you don't go back and look it up, something's wrong. If you're just looking at a scripture in whatever version you have, something may be a little bit different. So at some point when something really hits your heart, go back and just kind of dig down deeper into that word. And that's going to be your responsibility because it will bring richness. Study to show yourself approved is what the word talks about. Um, so we've got to realize that the Bible it's not a piece of literature that we can get, like Shakespeare, and we can open it up and kind of decipher what, what he meant and what he was going through and what he was like as he wrote these words and what he really meant. It's a living document. It's a letter from God to you for now, for today. You know, it's not uncommon that we have the apps on our phones, and a few of us 
it's really, really hard to go through this book and actually find things. But this is what you got to know. This is the manual for life. It's not a denomination. It's not a man. It's not a service. It's not the music. It's the word of God is what it comes down to. That's what will hold you through everything that you go through. But I saw that the way we interpret the Bible determines the way we act. But we also have a responsibility. Mm. The church has been, talking about in the United States, modern-day church, has been corrupted by perception, ignorance, rebellion. There's a consumer mentality where you come and you feel like, y'all need to feed me. It's your obligation to put this stuff inside of me. No, it's not. It's your obligation to go get it after you've heard something or seen something. If you're not spending time in your word, and I tell people 30 minutes, 25 minutes, are more a day spending time with the Lord in his word, something's wrong. I'm hungry for his word. Sometimes the Lord will wake me up in the middle of the night and he says, uh-oh, there's something that I want to teach and I have to go look it up. And then I can't rest till I go and find out what it says. But we have this mentality now where when I come to church, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, and we won't bless anybody else. For some people it was a little bit hard to serve last week because you didn't know how to. You came and, well, let me get my plate and go sit down and leave these people alone. And, you know, and there were other folks that were thriving in the middle of the thing that says, you need some more juice? You want some more eggs? Do you need some more of those grits? Somebody, you want some more of that casserole? Do you want the vegetable or you want the one that had the sausage in it? That was good, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Need to do that more often. When, when April and Pastor come next week, make sure they understand that. Church has been corrupted. Bless me only. In fact, some of the translations of the church even separated the word kingdom and priest. And I think that those words come together. Jesus is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And we're supposed to look like him, so we're supposed to look like kings too and begin to take authority. Uh-oh. We're also been called to be a priest. In fact, we have separated it in our churches these days where we now make the priest a church leader. And the priest has no authority in the outside. He walks outside and walks into a store. He is not respected. It's like take yourself back to church and get in that pulpit. That's the only place that you can be listened to and have any authority. Well, that's wrong. First Peter's 2.9 says, drum roll, please. You're chosen. You're a chosen generation. Generation means that it doesn't stop, that it continues and it gets passed down. So your generation is now chosen. But you are a chosen generation, a royal, uh-oh, that sounds like king, priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. You're going to be a little bit different. See, our whole thing is that we feel like we're supposed to assimilate wherever we go. We need to look like the world when we go out. We dress like the world. They tell us on TV that this is what you need to, to, to look like. This is what the new style is. And we put it out there. I remember back in the 70s where people had their hair real long. It was called an afro. And they had some shoes that were about five inches tall that men walked around. And they had the bottom of the pants flared out. And, we, I mean, we thought we were in there. I mean, we, we wore that stuff. You know, we were like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking good. Because we wanted to assimilate and be popular with everybody else. But this says, guess what? You're chosen. That means before you knew it, God chose you to be a part of what he's doing. And he didn't create you to be the bottom. He says, you're a royal priesthood, the church. You're a holy nation, peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Wow. Circle chosen, circle generation, circle royal, and circle priesthood. You know, we've had some opposition because I had to ask myself, wow, it looks like the enemy in the Old Testament tried to stop what God's plan was. It also looks like the enemy, even in the New Testament, has tried to stop God's plan. 
tried to kill Jesus before he was even born. Mm. Tried to make his ministry of no effect. Mm. But now we come down to the terms where the church now uses and some, some ministries, which are good churches, say that, guess what? That fivefold ministry of the apostles and prophets which had power have now ceased. And then there's now a battle within church people that says, it hasn't ceased. Let's go on with it. In fact, some denominations have closed what they call a canon. And the canon is a book of rules and laws about how to live that man has established. And some churches have said, we've got 653 uh -oh, of these rules that we couldn't possibly pass. In fact, when we look at the canon, it shows us that we could never do this. And if we could do this, we could never line up to what God wants. But God makes it simple in his word with just his Ten Commandments. He says, if you'll follow these things, I got you. If you'll give your life to me, I've got you. You know, but one of the things that I was saying before, I said there's proof that there is a continuation of what God is doing out of the fact that that scripture that we started with is in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 12 said the church is not prepared based upon that. Let's do 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Charity, which means love, never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there are tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And some of the denominations have looked at this and said, this is why prophets and apostles do not exist for the day. This is why the Holy Spirit doesn't have tongues. All that stuff, they said, because of this scripture, which is in the New Testament, it now says that these things shall fail. When? When we step into the kingdom realm of God where it is no longer necessary. It's not for now. This is the time that this is the most prevalent and the most power where we need to be walking in the prophecies that were spoken. Wow. The church is not, not prepared to accept the leadership influence of the apostolic and the prophetic gifts. But every true prophecy is consistent with the words of the Bible. In fact, we even look at it today. We look back in the Old Testament and the prophets said this, and these things have come to pass. Sure, you, you will have false prophets. You'll have some. In fact, we talked about the fivefold ministry, which is the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the the teacher and the pastor. Mm. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 8. For one is given by the Spirit. No, I have that wrong. 1 Corinthians 2, 8, I'm sorry. I think it's, no, I'm, I'm doing it wrong again. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has set some in the church, first the apostles, secondarily the prophets, thirdly the teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, government, diversity of tongues. Wait a minute. The pastor's not even there. In fact, the word pastor is only mentioned two times in the New Testament. So if you talk about some of the scholars, they would look at that and say, well, if it's only mentioned twice, it's not important. The pastor definitely has a role because it is mentioned in some of the scriptures, but here this other one defines this is what the church leadership should look like. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helps, government, diversities of tongues. I don't see pastors. Uh-oh. Hmm. Now we begin to move forward. Jesus gave gifts to the church. He has ascended into heaven. He has asked the Holy Spirit now to come. And for the first 250 years of the church, things were rocking and rolling because they were following this model. 
But then man tends to slack a little bit, and he gets a little bit comfortable. And what happens is that today's church now has transitioned where we've gone from the original setup of the new covenant, which looks something like that, and we definitely know that apostles and prophets are included in both of those scriptures, to now one that is pastorally led, and the apostolic and the prophetic gifts have been shut down. The church is functioning on three of five legs. So that's like me taking a chair, saying, here, would you like to have a seat? Be my guest. Sit down. Somebody would get mad at you if you kind of gave that to them and invited them in as a guest to your house and you started flipping the furniture over and snapping the legs off. So I can't sit on that. Well, that's the way our ministry looks. Mm. Prophetic apostolic ministry must be restored to proper position and priority. We must implement a process of change that conforms to the mindset, behavior patterns, structures, essentially the wineskins of the church. We've got to change who we are. We've got to realize that God has prepared us already when we received him, and he has anointed us, and he has empowered us by the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. So in addition to having the fivefold ministry, he's also sent the Holy Spirit, which tells us how to use these gifts, and he's also given us words to tell that they're there. The answer is the fivefold ministry. Five stands for the number of grace. It means the full measure of God's power to the ecclesia, the church. The full measure. Acts 4, 32 to 35. Acts. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that ought to be the things that be, no, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed of his own, but they had all things in common. Next. And with great power gave the apostles, uh-oh, there's that word again, witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. You want grace? Next. And with great power, no, neither, neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many, of, as many as were possessions of the lands or houses sold them, they brought the prices of these things that were sold next and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made for every man according as he had need. Church looks a little bit different. You didn't have people accumulating wealth, but you also didn't have the poor. And anybody that had need, anybody that had sold and brought it to the church and distributed it so that everything was met. Wow. Every joint supplies. Wow, God is so good in what he set it up. But when we talk about grace, the full measure of God's power, we're talking about something that I call mega grace. It's grace that abounds. It's the most grace that you can have. Grace is a divine influence to manifest God's power on earth, which he desires to, through, to, to do through us. You know, we, even as we sit here, when we walk out of here, we're walking in power authority, but we just don't know it. You don't get this by watching TV. I was one that was one that says, I don't have to go to church on a Sunday. I can just sit here and watch, you know, Billy Graham, great. Jimmy Swagger, wonderful. Some wonderful teachers that are there. But the impartation of the grace doesn't occur until you come into the body and you become part of the body. You don't get it at home. I get people say, well, I can sit at home, I can watch TV, I can listen to songs, I can read my word. But it, your word is for you, but yet it's not for you. It's also for everybody else that's around you. And the only way they get that is when you go out and you begin to walk in the other things that you've been called to do. So, first of all, we don't get the maturation because it starts immature. We start drinking milk. Mm. Then we learn to eat meat. 
The maturation occurs when you come to a church that has a fivefold because it's going to develop your skills and your gifting, and it's going to release you to do the thing that you've been called to do. You know, when you start getting around anointed people, it begins to rub off on you. All of a sudden, and a lot of people know that one of my spiritual fathers is Prophet Norman down out of Miami. Well, the first time he called me to go with him, we went down to South America. We were walking around in Ecuador, and he says, go pray for that lady that she gets healed. It was a little awkward. And you walk over, and you lay hands, and you pray, and then they get healed. Or took a trip down to Peru with another group, and I had a nurse ask me to pray for somebody, and she got healed. When you start rubbing off around people that do this all the time, it begins to become part of who you are because now it's no longer a mural. It's the expectation I have, and God allows us to do it. Wow. Get around some anointed people that are doing the stuff. It will impart. All of a sudden, you start doing it. In fact, when I'm down in South America with Prophet Norm, and he's doing things prophetically, and he's a prophet over that nation, very accurate, very, very powerful ministries where we've got 600 to 1,000 people per service, and he's nailing it. I said, how does he do that? Through the Holy Spirit. He's given himself to that thing. And I said, well, I'm going to try that. And I walked over and I tried it, and then it worked. And I'm like, uh-oh. And he says, son, the gift's in you. It's, it's just got to be nurtured. Now, 12 years later, I'm now teaching on that gifting. My family walks in that gifting. My children are showing the inkling of that gifting because it's generational. They're doing the stuff. There's gifting in you while you sit in this church. Now, guess what? It'll rub off on you. Healing, words of knowledge will just come when you begin to pray and you're around God's people. We are called to heal and prophesy in addition to what we do other than sit on a pew in the church. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 and 20. Ha! Ephesians chapter 2, 19 and 20. And I, w- I want to thank you guys for working with me over there in the back, too. I know I kidded with y'all, but um, I, I love you guys and appreciate you. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. The household of God? I'm a citizen. I'm not a stranger. I belong. I've got a place in heaven. Next scripture. And are built on the foundation of the, oh, here it goes again, apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So now one of the things that happens to me, if I go visiting family members or friends out of town and they say, hey, let's go to church, one of the first things that I walk into a church and I say, Lord, show me. What do you believe? We believe in Jesus. I'm looking to see what their mission statement is, what they believe. And then, no, the Spirit will actually show you who the apostolic person is that's there. It's not always the person that they call pastor. Sometimes they can have an apostolic ministry, and you can still have a pastorally-led church. And then the the prophetic person, you'll always kind of run into them because they're peculiar people. They're going to see things. They're standing off, and they're looking somewhere. And you can just look them in the eye, and they know. Again, we've got to get the chairs right so that they can function and serve what they were supposed to to be. I don't know what my timeline is. Y'all getting tired? Hmm? Okay, if you'll give me just another five minutes, I'll run through and get this thing done, and we will close. The ascension gifts, as Jesus descended, he left us with the gifts for the church. That's another word that they use. The ascension gifts are a function of serving. They're not authority. So some people think, well, I am the prophet Billy Bob, and I know stuff, you know. And even when we walk into situations in the church like this, somebody will come over and they'll say, um, Langston, will you pray for my shoulder? And I'll grab somebody else. You spirit feel? Yeah. Pray for your shoulder. What I'm doing is I'm teaching you that it's in you. It's not in the man. It's not because of the man. It's because God has given it to all of his people, those abilities to do those things. It's a little different, though. Some people feel awkward. They're like, I've never done this before. It's a good thing. It's okay. 
The ascension gifts are not for authority. The gift of the Holy Spirit gives leverage, and that's seen in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12. Pastors only mentioned twice in the New Testament. Did I say that? So sometimes I will actually teach, I'll actually tease the pastor when he's walking around. I call him by what I see his gifting is. He's apostolic. I say apostle Tom. <laughs> and, and, but we've got to call things, begin to call things what they are. It is uncomfortable for the church because we've learned that apostles and prophets are bad things. Or in our mind, we've been taught that they were from things a long time ago. We do have modern-day apostolic folks, and he is one of them. He's a visionary. If you sit down and talk to him, he's going to write something on the board, and he's going to tell you 15 reasons why you need to do that thing. <laughs> now, there's something that I want to share with you just so you'll kind of remember your five-fold ministries, and it's a series of Gs. Apostles govern. Prophets guide. Teachers ground. An evangelist gathers, and a pastor guards and protects the sheep. The apostle governs. He establishes order. He breaks ground. He's an architect. He imparts. He sets foundational truth. He makes disciples. He preaches the gospel of peace, demonstrates the, 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 the God's kingdom. He performs signs and wonders to reveal hearts. The prophet guides. That means he edifies, he corrects, he confirms what's already there. He's not going to make up stuff. It's already in the word when, he, when he's speaking it. He lifts you up. He points, he confirms, he organizes. The teacher grounds. He's going to start teaching. He's going to do that thing that he is. He's going to disciple. The evangelist is out there winning souls. The pastor is going to protect the sheep, guard the sheep. He's going to shepherd I have a proclamation for you today, and I kind of wrote it down, and when we talk about One Love City Church, it's a declaration for you. I'm going to ask you to stand, One Love City Church. Any guests that we have also stand if you can, and this is to you. I want you to listen to it very, very carefully. One Love City Church will break barriers. It will demonstrate miracles of healing. All needs will be met. It will take the city of Tifton and set captives free. One Love City Church is called to the Great Commission. It will extend boundaries. It will educate. It will eradicate injustice. How? It will step into the marketplace of this city. It will step into businesses. It will go into schools. It will change education. It will step into politics by taking leadership positions in government. Those will be our first targets. When we begin to take and occupy these areas, we will begin to move the kingdom of God throughout this church. We've been sent to make whole. We've been sent to move in anointing to destroy the works of the devil, to establish the kingdom of God, to do good, healing all who are oppressed of the devil. We are called to extend God's kingdom, to extend his principles through the priesthood of all believers. The fivefold ministry is balanced. It's not just a healing ministry. See, when we start getting ourselves unbalanced and you become just a healing, just a prophet, just a teaching, just a pastoral ministry, we get off because now that becomes our focus. But we balance each other. If you've ever seen a diamond and you see how it will glitter when you hold it up to the light, and you'll see that one facet, the one facet isn't all that it is. But you'll turn it and you'll see there are many, many facets, and that's what its beauty is. None is no more beautiful than the other. You know, 1 Corinthians 18 to 20 says that there are many members, many different parts, many arms, many legs, many tongues, many feet. But there's one body. It's the body of Christ. The apostle, apostolos, 
is sent forth. He's a builder. He demonstrates the Father's heart. Prophetis speaks forth the mind and the counsel of God. Revelation, proclaiming, proactive. He's a seer. He brings rhema to logos. What is our ground that we will change? The nation must change. In the U.S., when we look at church growth over the last 30 years, we look at church growth, and we find that we haven't had much church growth in the United States. In fact, it's on a decline all over the nation. 75 to 80% of people are in a decline position or recline position in churches. 20% of what we call church growth is people transferring from one church to the other. They get unhappy or they move. They're unhappy, I'll just go somewhere else and take my toys with me, and I'll go sit in somebody else's chair. Some churches have reclined themselves to entertainment. They have big stars and big singers come in, and we're attracted by those things. But the early church was an equipping church. It was they equipped to perfect, to prepare, to repair, to mend. They were anointed to preach. They were anointed to deliver the word of God, to heal, and to set free. I call that forth in you today. Father God, I thank you for One Love City Church, for these members that are here. And as we come together on this Sunday, this is not all that we are. For our guests, this is not all that you are. Your ministry is not over yet. Some say, but I can't. I've got issues. You can serve God in your gifting wherever you are with the full power of who he is by asking him. God is not through. Out of the fact that you woke up, you could have been taken to heaven today and be in the kingdom. But God has you here for a purpose. So I break the spirit of death over this church or anybody that's here. I break the spirit of depression. I break the spirit of divorce. I break the spirit of depravity over your lives right now. And I say that you are alive today. You know, In Peter, Jesus shows up at Peter's house, and Peter's mother-in-law is there, and she's got a fever. And it's well documented in the Scriptures. Jesus walks over, and he doesn't do anything fancy. He rebukes her sickness. It's fever. She has a high fever. He rebukes the fever as if it were a spirit. And instantly, the mother-in-law, she gets up, and she begins to serve everybody. It's not a long, drawn-out process. It's a now thing that God is calling us to. So I speak that over you. I rebuke anything that would stop you from doing what it's called you to do. I I rebuke anything that would cause confusion or frustration in you. And I ask that you stand up and that you serve. Serve one another. Release your giftings. You know, when we talk about that scripture, Peter's mother-in-law being sick, it is mentioned in three of the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We have the same ability to cast out that type of frustration, to cast out sickness, to cast out any frustration, to cast out sin. And I also want to let you know that the doors of this church, One Love City Church, are open. To anyone who needs to come up, anybody who needs has a need for healing or for prayer or restoration or anything that burdens you, I ask you to come forth. So, Father, I, I just thank you. I thank you for this church and this body. And we release them today, Father, to go out and to be the fivefold ministry to be led by the fivefold ministry, to be perfected by the fivefold ministry, to be matured by the fivefold ministry, and to realize that it's no longer church as usual. I heard somebody say, I'm too old. The Lord says, you're not. You're still here. Can you walk? Can you see? Can you pick up a phone? Can you smile at somebody the next place that you go to? Will you tell them how good I am? See, an effective ministry is one that does not point to the man. It's never about an apostle or a prophet or a pastor or a teacher or anybody. It's never about a church or a group of musicians. It's never about a place. It's always about the kingdom. We started up this morning with a slide that showed what God was doing from a kingdom standpoint. 
we got the whole scope and we saw how the church has been hijacked until now. The truth is in you now. So go forth from this place in his full power and occupy. That is your commission. I thank you for this time and I love you. Greet two or three people on the way out and we will see you next time. Amen. One Love City Church, um, tithe and offerings. There is a basket over here at the counter on this side if you have a tithe or offering. Other than that, you are released. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>